pray together. Father, I can remember when you called me out of that place of death. June 28, 1988. I can remember like it was yesterday. I can remember what I was and what, and what you transformed me to be by your grace. Lord, I pray now as we seek to understand what that transformation produces, that you will give us hope, that you will give us the courage to believe that, that you are really at work and you're really making us what you originally designed us to be. So give us insight, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we celebrated the fundamentals of the Christian faith. We celebrated the fact that God had become flesh. Jesus, God, uh, born of a virgin, lived a holy life. We celebrated that He died for our sins on Good Friday, that He was raised from the dead on Sunday, and He now lives and reigns in the lives of all people, and one day will return, and He will restore all things. That is the foundation of the Christian life. And after one of our services last week, uh, one of our thinkers, one of our guys who, who processes things and has questions, and he, he came to me and said, Pastor, I get, I get what we believe as Christians. I get Jesus as God. I get He lived a holy life. I get that He died for my sins. I get that He's been raised. But what I want to know, I understand what a Christian is. He said, what I want to know is, how am I supposed to live like a Christian? What does it look like when I'm actually living like a Christian? And I said, I am so glad you asked because I'm going to spend the next two months answering that question. This series that we're beginning today answers that very important question. What does it look like to live for Jesus? We're going to dig deep into God's Word. We're going to see some things that, that might surprise us a little bit. We might, we might see some things in our own lives, that is. Not in God's Word, but in our lives. See, when we read God's Word, oftentimes what we find is God's Word is reading us and showing to us what we need to, to be about and what needs to change. And so, as we're walking through this series, don't be surprised because God, God has come not to, to make us better, but to make us new. And, and in this newness, there's a new way of life that He's called us to live. See, who you are and what you are becoming is predominantly driven by two things. All of us, everything that we, what we are and what we're becoming, there are two things that are driving that in us. One is our nature, and the other is the way in which we are being nurtured or have been nurtured. Your nature says a lot about who you are at your core, but then what you've been nurtured to, that, that also drives so much of who you are and who you're becoming and what you're going to do. Many of you have heard me say this, and, and I think it's important that it bears repeating to understand that I am the owner of the most loving dog on the face of the planet Earth. I know some of you think that's wrong, but I'm right, all right? This is the most loving animal on the planet. And here's why. Because by nature, he, he is a loving dog. He's an English lab, all right? Not a field lab. See, field labs, they live to run and tear up your stuff, all right? They eat your stuff. English labs live to sit and to love. Now, they eat your stuff, but it's only because they love you that much. They can just eat you up, all right? So we bought one of these because of his nature. Now, we've nurtured it. We love him, and, and he understands it. He is dearly loved. When he needs his glasses, we got them for him, right? I mean, we are loving owners, and, and, and so this is why he's now this loving animal. See, it's, it's his nature and his nurture. Well, we by, by nature as human beings, we are, we are prone to sin. 
See, we're not what God designed us to be. God's original design was that we were to have peace with God, peace with Him, and peace with other people, which would have created and did provide a glorious world. But that's not our world. Our world, our world is broken. See, our, our world is filled with poverty and sickness and racism and, and, and all kinds of problems. Why? There's one reason. Sin. When sin entered the world, brokenness and death entered the world. But thanks be to God, He did not abandon us in that brokenness and sin and death. Instead, God Himself entered our world. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. He entered our world to overcome the world. Through His death, He defeated sin. Through His resurrection, He defeated death. And now we have life. But in order to experience that life, we have to repent. We have to turn away from our old way of life. And we have to pursue and receive a new way of life by believing in the gospel, which allows us to recover and pursue God's design. See, understand this. God's plan is not for you to be better. God's plan is for you to be new. See, we have a nature problem. And we need a new nature. And by believing in Jesus, we get a new nature. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 explains exactly what happens to us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We get a new life filled with the Spirit of God. We get a new heart. We get a, a new sense of who we are. Our nature is changed, but then it needs to be nurtured. It's not enough that we've had our nature changed. Now we need to be nurtured by a family of faith, all in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look how he paid, prayed for the family of faith at Ephesus. Uh, in fact, Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. That's what the Apostle Paul was praying for that church, and that's what we need to be praying for each other. See, before I became a believer in Jesus Christ, people were praying for me. After I became a follower of Jesus, people continued to pray for me and invest in me and nurture me to be a follower of Christ. And I needed that nurturing. I needed people to do that for me. And all of us need that. See, here's the fact of the matter that some folks fail to seem to understand is that in order for us to actually be what God designed us to be, not only do we need to be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone and given a new nature, but we've got to be nurtured in that faith. That means we need each other. You cannot be what Jesus died for you to be on your own. You must have a church family that nurtures you and that you nurture. What we're going to see in this series is what that looks like, how that happens. In our text today, we get a, we, we get a great challenge. It's a short verse, but I'm telling you, it lays the wood right here. you got your Bible, and I hope that you do. Go to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, we're just going to be in verse 2. Tom Price is going to read for us. So come on up, Tom. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Now, it's a little verse, and he's a little guy, but this is, this is a mean scripture right here, so, so you're ready for it. Tom, are you ready, buddy? All right, lay it down. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mic drop. Pow. Just like that. Powerful. Thank you, Tom. You would go ahead and be seated. Now, that, that, that's a lot. I don't know if you missed it. You might want to go back and look at it on your own. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Before you get into that, what that means is understand who we are. All right? 
Before you, before you can really get a sense of what you're supposed to do, you got to know who you are because who you are needs to drive what you do, and it does. What you do is a reflection, actually, of who you are, and who you are is defined completely by what you believe. What you believe will determine how you feel, and what you do is a result of how you think and feel, how it works. And so we got to understand who we are. Those who believe in Jesus are children of God. See, I understand a local church is a family of faith. Write that down. It's on the back of your bulletin. you got to get this. We are a family of faith. And friends, if you're, if you're not excited about that, then you don't understand it. If you're not grateful that God has made you His child, then you've forgotten what you once were. If, you, if you're not thrilled and if you can't enter into His gates, with praise on your lips, enter into this place, this family where we worship with a sense of excitement, then you don't get it. This is a miracle. Writing to the, 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 the beloved church, look what John said, First John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We are children of the Almighty. And we are that by faith. It transforms who we are. Our nature is changed. And now we need to be nurtured. See, in the beginning, when God created the world, He provided a foundation for all human society. And that was the family. God made a man, and out of that man, a woman. And the two were together to form new life. And that life coming together, that family was to, to be the very foundation of the fabric of society. And so, if you see a society that is healthy, and thriving and doing well, what you'll discover at the heart of that society are healthy families. If you see a sick, broken society that is struggling to value life and to live at peace, what you'll discover is that the foundation of that is there's a disrespect for family and marriage. How's North America doing these days? Want to know why? because we have disregarded God's definition for marriage and family. You mess with family, you mess with society. Family is the foundation, and when the family is healthy, the society is healthy. Well, just as God made each one of us in His image through a family, and, and we share that, that race sense as a people made in the image of God, but we are placed in an individual family, so it is for every child of God. We are remade, born again in the image of Christ, and we are a part of the capital C church, but we are called to be a part of an individual family of faith, a local church. A, a local church is a family of faith. And when that local church, when those local churches are healthy, society is healthy. And why is that? Because of what we are by nature designed to be and what Christ is nurturing us to be. And what is that? Jesus was very clear what the local family was supposed to be. Matthew chapter 5 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And this is what is happening to many churches today. They're being tossed. And here's why. Because they've lost their saltiness. What does salt do? It's a preservative, and it changes the taste. What is the church supposed to be? It's supposed to preserve core values through the human existence. It's supposed to bring taste to life. When churches stop being biblical, 
when they stop being Spirit-filled and Spirit-led to the glory of God in the name of Jesus, they lose their saltiness. And so they lose their importance or value to a society. And so what do they do? They toss them. They toss them and step on them. And they're done with them. But here's the good news. God will always have His church. North America doesn't want to be the place where God is going to thrive and work. He'll pick a new continent. And you know what He's doing right now? He's picking Africa. The place where the church is growing faster anywhere else in the world and is sitting, uh, beginning to send the majority of the missionaries from the continent of Africa. And East Asia. There are more Southern Baptists in East Asia than there are in North America. God is at work and He will have His church. But if the church doesn't want to be the church, He'll, he'll find someone who does. And so we've got to be very steadfast in our faithfulness to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit toward the glory of the Father. And when we do, we shine. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In this way, same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what the church does. The local church acts as salt and light. And in the, in the process, we bring a blessing to our city. See, God has called each one of us. If you live in this city, you have been sent here. And you've been sent here to live on mission for a purpose, and that is the welfare of this city. Look what it says in Jeremiah 29.7. It says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now, let's talk about this. Yes, the children of Israel in exile, but how much more are we in North America today as followers of Jesus Christ in exile? This world is not our home. And for those of us who believe, that is good news. Listen, if you believe today, this is good news. Listen to me. This is as bad as it gets. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, good news. This world is not your home. You're passing through this place where there's so much hate and racism and sickness and brokenness and cancer and, and financial woes, this world is not your home. You are an exile. Those of you who don't believe, this is as good as it gets for you. It's going to get worse. But for those of us who believe, we're passing through. But we're here for a reason. Look what he said. I sent you here. If you are here, God puts you here for a purpose. And what is that purpose? And pray to the Lord on its, on its behalf, or in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We are to seek the welfare of the city. How do we do that? We pray for our city. And we choose to live hopeful and be helpful. And the most helpful thing any of us can do with our lives is to lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. Because if they can know Jesus, then they can be healed, they can receive hope, and they can have eternal life to the praise of God the Father. And that's what the world needs. And we've got it. And so we've got to understand what our family business is. Do you know the job description for the family business that the father owns? Found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry, that's the family business, of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our job. 
Our job is to be salt and light. It is to pray for the welfare of this city. It is to pursue the welfare of this city by living hopeful and being helpful, by leading more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. That is the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be ambassadors of God. That's the family business. Let me ask you, children of God, are you involved in the family business? Are you doing what the Father has commanded you to do? To be salt and light? Pursue the welfare of the city to, to, to be that that leader of reconciliation to be an ambassador for the grace of God. That's what it means to be a part of God's family. And living hope is a family of faith. Now write this down: a family of faith is to bear burdens. Look back at Galatians six verse two. This is a command to the local church: bear one another's burdens. Now, living hope is a family of faith, and being family is hard. If you've been in a family more than a few months, it's hard. That's why babies cry all the time. They figured it out. It's hard. Being family is hard, but my friends, it's such a blessing. See, as a family, we, we, we bury each other's burden, and we do it in a number of ways. Three ways this has personally happened for me and the way I believe it should happen in every believer's life. And I share this with you. The first one is this. We, we keep each other away from sin. That's one of the ways we bear each other's burdens. I talked to a pastor uh, last week that I love so much. And I love him so much because he used to be in my youth group. And I remember when he first really came to get serious about his faith, and he began to be a leader in our ministry, and I found out some things about his life that he was keeping a secret. So I called him up. I said, hey, I need you to come by and see me. He's like, all right. He wants to say, hey, Pastor Jay, what's going on? I said, well, I'll tell you what I think's going on. And I started asking him about where he's been and what he's been doing. And that smile turned into a frown. And I said, I need to know right now, is this true? And big tears formed in his eyes. He said, it's true. I'm, I'm so sorry. And then tears formed in my eyes. And I said, buddy, God loves you too much for you to waste your life doing that junk. And I lit into him with a love of Jesus. And I told him that I loved him, and he listened because I love him. And you know what? That was a turning point in his life. And now he's a pastor of a great church. And he's a good pastor because he loves sinners. Because he understands them. And he knows the power of Jesus. And we do that for one another. When we see someone we love pointing with sin, we call them back. We love them enough to tell them the truth. We do it with, with grace, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we... We help keep each other from sin. The second thing is we care for each other when, tough, when times are tough. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people in connect groups take up money, not tithes and offerings, take up money to provide for the financial needs of someone in their group. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people go through catastrophes. A house caught on fire in the middle of the night. A, a tree fell on their home. A child got sick. If that were to happen to you at 2 o'clock in the morning, Who's your 2 a.m. phone call? Who do you call if a child has to be rushed to the emergency room? Who do you call if your house catches on fire? Who do you call if you lose your job in the night? Who do you call if a tree comes crashing down on your home in the middle of the night? Maybe more importantly than that, wait a minute, the more important question is this. Who would call you for help? Are you on someone's 2 a.m. call list? If, if they have a need. See, that's what a family of faith is. We're the 2 a.m. phone call. We're the ones that they know will be there if they need someone to care for the kids. 
if they have financial trouble, if, they, if they're suffering, if they're struggling with death or, or hurt or sickness, they have those that they call. The third thing is strengthening each other when, when hard decisions must be made. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me several years ago. I got hit by something on Friday. And by Saturday, I was, I was off my feet. I take a lot of blows, and I can take blows. I took a blow several years ago, and it knocked me down, and I couldn't get back up. And a couple of elders came over to my house, and I told them, guys, I can't preach anymore. I said, I can't not, not only can I not preach tomorrow, I don't think I can preach anymore. And they listened to me, and they started reading scripture to me. And they started carrying that burden with me. And they reminded me, God didn't ask you to, to, to preach. He called you to preach. So this isn't a request that he's asking you. He's telling you, get yourself up, quit feeling sorry for yourself, and go do your job. I can't remember what I preached on, but I preached. And I've been preaching since because there were men who were willing to bear my burden, who came alongside and were there. And you know why they did that? Because they loved me. That's what love does. Love bears burdens. Write it down. Bearing burdens, it demands love. It demands love. Look at our text. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what's the law of Christ? He has just said it. We're not doing a study through Galatians, so you probably wouldn't know this. Go back one chapter. Turn in your Bibles. Go back to Galatians chapter 5 and look in verse 14. And he will say what the law of Christ is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Read this out loud with me. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, did Paul make that up? Did that just come out of, it, out of the Holy Spirit and given to him? No. Who said that first? Jesus did. Jesus said it in Matthew 22. Look what Jesus said. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When we know that God loves us, it liberates us to love others. And when we love others the way the way God has loved us, we receive the greatest blessing there is. First of all, when we begin to love others and bear their burdens, we're inspired. God's love inspires us to do that. More than that, we're, we're, we receive joy because we get to be a part of what God is doing. But most importantly, our faith grows. See, the greatest blessing is being the blessing. You know the happiest people in the world? The happiest people in the world are the people who are the greatest blessings in the world. You know who the most miserable people are in the world? They're the people who say, who's going to bless me? Who's going to make sure I get what I want? Who is going to surrender what they want so I can get what I want? Those are the most miserable people on the planet. You know who the happiest people in the world are? They're the ones who wake up every day and say, Who am I going to bless today? Who am I going to experience the strength of God working through me to be an impact on their life? Some of you in the room, you're not happy. You want to know why? Because your life is about you. You want to be happy? Be a blessing blessing comes from loving. When you know love, God loves you and you start loving people the way He has loved you, your life becomes a blessing. And love comes by grace and truth. 
There's love is full of grace and truth. Write it down. Love demands grace and truth with time for the church family. Jesus is love. God is love. Jesus is God. And so Jesus is love. And what is Jesus full of? Look at this in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the, of the only Son from the Father. And what Jesus full of? Read it out loud with me. He is full of... Love is full of grace and truth. Truth lets us know that we need grace, and grace is there to know His love. Love is full of grace and truth. And that happens and you experience that grace and truth over time. See, there's a lot of people that want friendships, but they're not willing to invest in them. See, there's a lot of people who see the living hope, and they would never say this, but they see the church as fast food. I'm going to drive in, listen to what the bald guy says, and I'm out of there. I'm there to get what I want. Did I like the music? Did I like French fries? Did I like that? Okay, I didn't like it. Like, I'm out of here. I'm, it's a drive-by deal. It's fast food. There's no, there's no blessing in that. See, grace and truth are shared when there's a relationship that's been built by time. See, the reason why I was able to speak into that young man's life so many years ago is because I loved him and he knew it and we had a friendship. See, grace and truth it's got to come with time. Time is tough. Time is the most expensive thing we have. You lose money, you might get it back. You don't get time back. Time is expensive, but I'm going to tell you it's a blessing. When you use it right, time time is a blessing. So many people want faster. They want this microwavable friendship, and it doesn't work. See, true friendship... It, it, it's it's got to be put in a crock pot. I love it when we eat stuff from the crock pot. How many of you guys love the crock pot day? Oh, so good. I love it. I love when I walk in that house because I can smell it. I smell all over the house. Charlie smells like it. It's just glorious. just fills up the whole house, and it's like, woo, yeah, crock pot day, baby, yeah. I literally say that. A little louder. Glory is so good. It's so good. And I'm going to tell you something. Crockpot doesn't happen if dinner's at 5.30. It doesn't happen. It doesn't start up at 5.15. You have to plan this. You have to think about it at the store. And then it's got to go in in the morning and it's got to cook all day. you got to have the ingredients. you got to have the time. Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, to the glory of God, has given us the ingredients. What does it need now? It needs time. We need to cook together. That's what makes the church family the church family. Now, here's what I know. There's nobody in this room that's going to say, oh, good, I've had some time I've wanted. I just had some time. So some of you do. Most of you don't. You know what that means? we got to make time. We gotta make time to take time to invest in the relationship to the family. And if you don't, you're gonna miss it. Some of you are missing it. 
you're missing out on being the blessing. You're missing out on receiving the blessing. You're missing out on being the 2 a.m. friend. You're missing out on being that one who brings grace and truth. You're missing the joy of the life of living for Christ. You cannot do this on your own. You weren't meant to. You're meant to be in a local church family. You're meant to bear burdens. Are you doing it? If not, start today. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. If, if we understand what you've done, we can't help but be grateful. And, and that gratitude, it, it just overwhelms us that we praise you. And in praising you and receiving your love, it overflows into our lives so that we give time. We give to your cause. We're about your business as your family. So, Lord God, I pray today for some that need to come and say, Lord, i got to make this a priority. I know there's some today that have got friends, they've got family, and they need the prayer support from folks who are here right now. Lord, we need you. We need each other. The way you designed it. So, God, give us, give us the faith to commit the time to do it right and bring glory to your name. Here it says we praise you now and pray for you in Jesus' name. Amen.